Welcome to Songs and Stories, the Not For Musicians Only music podcast. Welcome once again to Songs and Stories. My name is Michael Gaither, and this is Songs and Stories, episode number 35. Well, I hope the summer's treating you well, wherever you might be, and uh, if you happen to be in California and you're picking this up, I hope the smoke is cleared. It's, it's, it's been a pretty scary year for fire here on the West Coast. I read last week that at one point we had 1,700 separate fires going on in California. In fact, the Trabing Fire, which hit here really close to home, literally about three-quarters of a mile from home a few weeks ago, caused my wife to evacuate along with our dogs and cats and kittens while I was trying to get home in traffic. And if you drive around now and you see where all the burnt trees and the burnt brush are, you'll see a lot of burnt foliage and houses standing intact. So God bless the firemen. In fact, if you go to my website, michaelgaither.com, there's a little thank you for the firemen and some photographs of what it looked like from my front yard. Um, Speaking of dogs and kittens, there's a benefit coming up in a couple of weeks in Carmel, California on July 19th for Animal Friends Rescue Project. And if you've listened to my music or checked out the website, you can probably tell that animals are very near and dear to my heart. Uh, My wife and I have raised guide dogs in the past. Last year, we, we fostered dogs and puppies for Animal Friends Rescue Project. And this year, we're fostering kittens, which is even more fun than it sounds. Um, This benefit includes um, an appearance from two very um, cool local singer-songwriters, Elisa Feynman and Kimball Hurd. I've heard of Elisa for years and enjoyed her music, but never actually crossed paths with her, so I thought, well, we're playing the same bill. Maybe we can do an interview. So this is actually going to be the first of two interviews with Elisa and Kimball. In this first half, we're going to be talking with them, and the second half, we're going to hear them play a little bit. Uh, You might know Kimball Hurd if you picked up my Keith Greninger interview a few months back. You'll recall recall that uh, Keith and Kimball and Roger Fuhrer were part of the band City Folk a number of years ago. Kimball came from that. He started playing with Elisa, um, I think about 10 years ago. And then you'll find out during this chat that Elisa was working at Kazoo, a local radio station, heard them playing, and kind of just kind of championed them and started promoting them to get them out and get more widely well-known and heard. Elisa herself is an award-winning singer-songwriter. She's won a couple of honors at Kerrville. She's, um, she won the, what was the award? The Best Folk Singer-Songwriter in Monterey for four years running. She's played at the Kate Wolf Memorial Festival. She's played at Strawberry Music Festival. She's been around a long time writing a lot of great songs. And as you'll hear in this, in this interview, um, really being close to the earth um, and, and nature really lays into and plays into a lot of her music. She actually... Grew up down south, native Californian, went to UCSC with an, an environmental studies major. I also learned that after college, she worked as a fire watcher uh, up, up in the mountains of Idaho. And when she saw the mule on my CD, she told me these great stories about mules hauling in her supplies, uh, including propane and food and water to places where cars couldn't get when she was working as a fire watcher. So we, we, had, we found a lot of common ground. I also wanted to mention that I've received a lot of nice comments from people that have heard these sort of kitchen table talks of mine, and so they like the informality of it, that it wasn't that these aren't really structured interviews. And if you like that, you're really going to like this one because, you know, I had notes and things kind of organized to talk with her and Kimball about, but when they sat down, I turned the recorder on and we just started visiting, and it went on for about 40 minutes. So if you like that kind of thing, you're really going to like this. 
And as you're listening to the show, go to my website, michaelgather.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-I-T-H-E-R.com, if you're not there already. There are links to go with this show, including um, some links that will get you to all of Elisa's CDs, including her latest, which is Closing the Distance, uh, a collection of Jewish songs sung in Hebrew, which forced Kimball to learn to do harmony in Hebrew, which he doesn't speak. Um, there are also links to Lisa's website. There are two information. There's some city folk links about Kimball Hurd. So have a look there. And if you um, want to get on my mailing list and want to enter this month's contest, this show is also broadcast on Grateful Dead Radio back in Baltimore, uh, Friday evenings at 730. You can win a Grateful Dead Radio t-shirt just by listening to this podcast, signing up on my site, or sending me an email, michael at michaelgather.com, and in the subject line, just use the word Elisa, and I'll enter you in the contest. So let's get going. This is kind of a a nice long chat. We're going to start with a song called Windblown Seed, which really sums up her songwriting well. It talks about the ground and farming. It also talks about being on the road, and this is off her Better with Time CD. We'll hear a little bit about Windblown Seed, and then we'll talk with Elisa Feynman and Kimball Hearn around my kitchen table. I breathe these leaves in a winter sun and think about the hands that planted them once and built this cabin of manual wood that wool not as it once did. There's no grape arbor and a fashion vine clinging to a fence now fallen with time. And a gate to a garden where they grew their food, where the flowers still bloom and the trees still fruit. And I'm thinking on the ones that planted them here, because I'm eating their fruits after a hundred years. Took a whole lot of work and sticking around, sinking their roots deep into the ground. But me, I seem to travel just like a windblown sea. There's always a breeze about this time of day coming to carry me. Me, I seem to travel just like a I've heard about you for years, and, and you know, and I've heard bits and pieces and songs. And I'm glad, I find the, the hardest thing about doing this is just finding a time we can meet. I know, <laughs> I know, know, I know. And we, but we, but we did. We live a couple. You know, we like, aromas is right next to Watson. Yeah, it's all even aromas. Because you're a native California. Yeah, yeah. We've been in aromas probably since 1992 or 93. Uh-huh. Okay. And. Um, we were in the Anzar Valley part of Aromas for many years, and then Granite, Granite Rock Quarry. Okay. That area, and Granite Rock ended up bringing, uh, buying out uh, some of the homes on that street on Anzar. Uh-huh. But that's a street, you know, the backside of Aromas. Yeah. So. This always happens. Oh, interesting. Okay. Let me see who it is. Okay. We'll come back. Okay, what's yeah. But yeah, we were going to play in Big Sur last Saturday night at the Henry Miller. And right. And it was canceled with the fires. And I heard the containment's only 5% mm-hmm. in there. Wow. 
And the highway one on both sides. So that's an improvement. <sighs> both sides have been evacuated. Yeah. On. And we were, in, we were. Oh, actually, I played up in Reading last Friday, and it was, well, it was Reading, so it was 105. <laughs> and I swear the sky there was worse than it was here when we had the fire. It was just yeah. nasty. You know, yeah. the whole state's on fire. It's yeah. awful. Yeah. yeah. Well, the windblown seat is just right out of Big Sur when yeah. we lived there in 1982 to 1987. So mm-hmm. we got to meet a lot of people who homesteaded or their mothers and fathers homesteaded as a pretty young European history. Wow. And I just watched, you know, as I was doing my thing for UC Santa Cruz there, I was an employee of theirs at a nature reserve. Mm-hmm. I remember um, your site, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, my... My dream to do the music and follow the music, you know, having to leave home a lot, I would watch the fruits of those people who were devoted to staying in one place mm-hmm. and had farms and gardens and animals. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's that wind-blown seed. So hopefully when the fire and everything else is settled, we'll go back to celebrate and probably do a benefit, I, I hope. I know my neighbor across the street, she said, we should do something for the firemen or the animals or something. And I said, yeah, we got to do something. Mm-hmm. You know? And then I know that, I know Dan Kai's coming down, I think, next week and doing something in Coralita. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that anybody, who, whatever we whatever we can do in our own little areas to do to raise money for, for the firemen or the farmers or the animals, something. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. In fact, when you go down, if you, are you going to Santa Cruz after this? Or yeah, you, Santa Cruz. When you go down Buena Vista, the, the intersection right there at Larkin Valley and Buena Vista is actually where that that mule used to live oh. and on the fence on the right is this this long line of all these these kid drawn um thank you for saving our farm thank you firemen oh. you know, so i went down there and i mean i i, I wouldn't dare photograph burnt grass because i wouldn't want to but i went down and i photographed the signs because mm-hmm. that was real touching yeah, yeah. Right. so your songs come from uh your sense of place too and pretty much yeah when i started actually the first song that i wrote was highway 17 and, um, when was that? Well, I wrote it, I don't know, several, about five years ago. And it's on that CD, um, Spotted Mule. And it's the, it's the, the first song that K-Pig picked up, which I kind of hope they would eventually, because it's so local. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I'm just kind of like pinned in, for the most part, these story songs. And and lately, I'm just writing pretty much true stories. Mm-hmm. In fact, the new CD is pretty, they're all true stories. And I figure I'll just, I'll just hang on that for a while. Yeah, um, the song about Watsonville and the farm town is called "I Miss My Town." Um, I've got a song about that mentions the Sashmal Cinema and Days on the Green and seeing the Ramones at the Civic, and you know, so it's kind of like, yeah, so it's places, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so you just started writing five years ago. It's been about seven. Seven, yeah. Seven, yeah. Neat. Yeah, it's real exciting. I've always, I've always written, and I always kind of looked for. This is when the interview kind of turns around, which is always fun. Uh-huh. Um, I always looked for something creative to kind of like hang my hat on. And when I started writing and then I finally started playing my guitar and playing it in front of people, it all just kind of eventually kind of fell together. So you, you, you write songs and you keep the good ones and you hide the bad ones and no one ever sees them. And, you know. and maybe your perspective changes over time and the bad ones all of a sudden, hey, yeah, that's pretty good. That's, that's happened not too. so bad. I pulled one out a couple of, couple of days ago. I forgot about this. This is actually okay. Mm-hmm. You know, so... That's neat. Yeah. yeah. Do you have um, another source of income? Or yeah, I'm a technical can... writer over the hill, so I, I work at home two days a week, and then I commute three days a week over Highway 17. You know, and I've had conversations with other songwriters, and and uh, have you ever crossed paths with Bev Barnett and Greg Newland mm-hmm. up in Campbell? And and you know, she's a PR person, but they're great songwriters, and they also do the True Wind House concert series in Campbell. And and she had this this thing on her site about is it. 
you know, should I, is, is it is it valid to be an artist with a day job or should I just, you know, should I just, you know, I'm looking at these people that are that are on the road and really having a hard time making it, you know, versus me who I have like a, a decent job plus. But it's like my attitude, even though it's like it's a day job, it's sort of like it frees you up to not have to depend on it. I mean, if I was if I was really diving into it, maybe that'd be different. That's kind of mm-hmm. that's kind of how I look at it. It's definitely yeah. a balance. If, if you, it supports the music. If you're so stressed out about money all the time, that doesn't yeah. you know, really perpetuate the creative process. Yeah. The muse doesn't like stress. <clears throat> no. Although tension is good, but and sometimes and deadlines. I, <laughs> deadlines are great. <laughs> is there artist deadlines are exactly yeah. yeah producing under pressure. But if you're yeah the money situation well that's the classic artist struggle sure. you know and you do what you can do um, in order to do your art and yeah. every artist always has and then there's a you know there's a million ways to live a life obviously that's that's, that's a good quote too yeah, yeah yeah I mean if you can and I've read about songwriters that'll that'll they'll they'll go up to a friend's cabin for five days with a notepad and a guitar and they'll come out with six songs. And, <laughs> You know, if you can do that, great. First of all, if you can just sit and write, that's and you know, it comes in spurts. I think it comes in different ways. But if you're if you're making a living, and I, I kind of learned after a while that it's like, well, I just keep my notepad with me when I, you know, if I get something that I think that I can actually follow through, then I'll then I'll just make the time for it. Mm-hmm. You know, but bef- you know, when I get home, I'll spend half an hour at lunch at work. I'll bring a guitar and I'll spend 20 minutes on it there, and then. You know, it doesn't matter where the song. If you get a good song, it doesn't really matter where it, whether it came from, like taking time off work and spending a week on it, or you wrote it in your head while you were driving home. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Does your technical writing keep your those <clears throat> juices flowing, or the writing juices, or is that a totally separate part of the brain? You know, I think for me, a friend of mine said that um, when he was looking at when I when I, a friend of mine, John Eddy, who's a songwriter, looked at my writing and he said. Because I think your tech writing makes you a good editor, mm-hmm. and you're able to cut stuff out. But on the other hand, because it's so, you know, it's actually the, the kind of work I do. It's about 20% writing and about 80% detail management. You know, taking mm. taking technical specs and finding out the parts you have to explain to customers and turning it from engineering English into English. And so it's very, if my boss, if people at work listen to this, it's very uncreative. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very kind. Of, but I think with um, with the website and with the songs. I can I can do whatever I want. I can break grammar rules, you know. I, I can I can break comma rules, and I think it just frees me up. So I think Neat. it does in a they, way because it's compliment. so different. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's that's yeah, the theory I'm working that. on lately. Because you <laughs> yeah. have to distill from you know the engineering language to the layman. It sounds like, and that's of course a, a great skill to yeah. apply. But it's great that it doesn't. Uh, trap you and no and I think because it, because on my on the stuff for me I'm just freed up to do whatever I want mm-hmm. with it I can write songs about mules and highway 17 and you know. that's so great <laughs> yeah. so let's talk about yeah. you um where do we start where we talked we... about windblown seed yeah. and, and so you're a native Californian mm-hmm. and you've been you've kind of settled in aromas but you was it San Fernando Valley you, were, you grew up in I, yeah I went to all my early childhood you know years schools there to graduate high school and came up to UC Santa Cruz and to go to school and become an environmental study student uh, eventually Mm -hmm. and and, uh, you know that's how I got to this area redwoods and ocean and and, um, this area had attracted me and basically I I stayed stayed here. Mm-hmm. I would go away, work my summers um, 
as a fire lookout in the Rockies. Oh, okay. And uh, and I'd go to New Mexico a lot. I was in Idaho a lot, and did a bunch of traveling and camping and different. Uh, biological studies and wildlife studies. So you've always been in touch with nature and, and the earth and looking out for fires and Yeah, I think for many stuff. lifetimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, living a and it was interesting to to you know, having to leave Big Sur too. Yeah. Um, but Big Sur would always stay there. Mm-hmm. I, I'd always hoped so that I could go after my dream of doing music in mm-hmm. just a slightly more, you know, expansive way. Yeah. And uh, I had seen too many people around me dreaming dreams and never really making any steps toward achieving them. And that, as a younger person, that worried me. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want to have to look back and have that regret. Right, right. And you kind of took a nice roundabout way before you started recording, but I think all that put into your songwriting, it sounds like, too. I think it did. And, of course, I started songwriting when I was about 10. Right. And you started playing really young, too. Yeah, right? yeah. about did that age. Did both your parents play or your mom? They both actually play, but it was my grandparents, my oh, maternal right. my maternal um, grandmother taught us piano starting from age five. And mm-hmm. her father, my great-grandfather, Leonard Konevsky, was first trumpet player mm-hmm. under... Toscanini with the New York Philharmonic, and he was always so, you know, supportive of whatever I wanted to do. I had him in my life till I was 20, and he just was delighted that I was writing mm. songs, even though they were folk. And sure. my grandmother was upset I stopped playing piano, but um, you know, she wanted me to continue to study classically. Yeah, but he said you were playing music and, and creating music, so it was fine. Yeah, matter what the genre was, yeah, probably. Yeah. Later on, it's amazing, long after they're gone, Kimball and I went back to school at Cabrillo in the last several years mm-hmm. to study uh, theory mm-hmm. and, uh, and jazz theory and classical music and sing it with uh, Cheryl Anderson and mm-hmm. the Cabrillo Choir. We went to Carnegie Hall. Whole new wow. world, whole new world. And uh, like you said, you know, that, you know, balancing all those worlds, the folk and the singer-songwriter were more free agents and mm-hmm. then have to go and really understand what Something music structured. is, structured, yeah. and what, what how music is made and where it came from, and, yeah. and to listen to it. And yeah, it's this. good to do both, I think, too. Yeah. I know for, for me, I've had a lot of friends who their, you know, their kids want to start playing music, and of course they, I want to play a guitar, and I, a friend of mine at work, Nandita, her, um, her son, wanted to play guitar, and he was debating between guitar and piano, he was about, I think, eight at the time, I go, you know... It's all under the banner of, you know, what the heck do I know? But if I was going to start a child out and they had any interest in piano, I go, I would have them start piano first mm-hmm. to learn the theory. And I think guitar would come along easier later on. I go, otherwise you're going to be a guy like me who started playing when he was 30, learned a bunch of chords. Mm-hmm. And now he's trying to backfill it with pieces of theory mm-hmm. to kind of like figure out what he's doing. So yeah. it's good to know both. I it think. is. Yeah. Yeah, definitely some theory is really... yeah. When we took the classes at Cabrillo, one of the first things we learned in the jazz class was like, okay, if you're playing blues in E7, you're not really in the key of E. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh yeah. my God, where were you 30 years ago? Yeah. I know, this information. I know. It's like, I've been trying to squish things into what sounds right and come up with my own formulas and theories. Yeah. And there's some pretty basic things that really go a long ways towards yeah. helping. Well, it's like when I learned basic chord theory after, after I've been playing for five or seven mm-hmm. years, and I'm like... Oh, those three notes make the chord. Oh, that's why I'm hitting these three. Oh, right. right. <laughs> you know, it's like duh. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know it, and then I guess once you can apply it, it, it just makes it cement better, yeah. I think, too. Yeah. So, what are your collaborations? When did you start YouTube? Because, Kimball, I've seen you with City Folk. 
mm-hmm. at least on one of the reunions, and I've heard you're playing. Yeah. Um, well, Elisa was integral in helping city folk kind of get out and get known oh, in really? the community. Yeah, she heard us, I think, on one of our first, definitely the first in this area. We might have started in the Bay Area where mm-hmm. Roger and Keith were living at the time. Okay. But when we came down here, we went on J.T. Mason's uh, folk show mm-hmm. on Kazoo, the old Kazoo. Oh, yeah. And Elisa happened to be home, and she heard us and thought that we sounded like kindred spirits musically and sure. socially and emotionally right. and politically and uh, got on her bicycle and came down. And she was You guys have to go play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. She was well-established in the area and known, so she offered to like open for us, mm-hmm. which... Wow. You know, it's like yeah. Crosby, Stills, Nash opening for us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So we were like, yeah. So she really helped us a lot. And we sort of became family at that point. And I don't think it was for another year or two that we got together mm-hmm. musically. City Folk had been in New York recording an album at that time, album, mm-hmm. CD. And... Uh, we came back and Roger and Keith were kind of fried at being in New York after yeah. a month and just being in the studio every day. And Especially going from native Californians to New York. Mm-hmm. Concrete. Nice know, place to visit. You have to go to Central Park to see trees. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was pretty intense, but it was it was really fun and exciting. And, and there was sort of this guarantee of something manifesting from it. It wasn't like, okay, now we got to shop this around because the guy that recorded us mm, okay. had been in the music industry and had connections with Rounder Records. You know, right. we thought at least we'll get something with Rounder Records. So we kind of came home and sort of rested on our laurels a little bit and we're just like, that was exhausting. We deserve a little vacation and something's going to happen. So right. we don't have to work too hard. But I was really missing playing music. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, a little bit of rest is fun, but yeah, I want to play. Yeah, I want to play yeah. music. You well, know, that's that's why I started doing this. Right, yeah. exactly. That's what's fun for well, me. I think for, I found it's really easy to get caught up when you have the CD done. It's easy to get caught up in the marketing of it because I really spend more time doing the behind versus playing and writing versus the website. I mean, it's really you know, so you, you want to play. Yeah, yeah. you can spend yeah. too much time on the other stuff. And that's really important too. You have to, but and that's one of the it hard things it. about the music career is you think it's all music and creativity yeah. and then you have to make a myriad of phone calls and do all this business and every time every time i have a gig and this is like this tired joke mm-hmm. but whenever i because i do an open mic at the wooden nickel every month where i play 90 percent of our gigs it's me taking my gear and i always say playing's the easy part you know filling the van full of the gear and hauling it in and making the phone calls that's the work yeah playing and looking at people that's fun exactly you know, sharing my songs and all that mm-hmm. yeah. exactly mm-hmm. so, so you came back and you had to get so anyway yeah i of course elise and i were friends at that point and i thought well why don't we work on some kind of musical entity maybe for weddings male female thing and, i was and, doing a lot of weddings mm-hmm. and 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 i had previously played with um, another person as a duo and that ended some years back and people thought it would be a nice alternative to mm-hmm. offer wedding couples so Kimball was That's a great idea. amenable to coming down and you can, you can yeah, so we got together at least once weekly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Elisa had her own radio show at that time and you were on Kazoo too mm-hmm. right? yeah. Rosewood, Ga- Rosewood, Rosewood Gates, Gates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mike Ekstrom's old show and then Kimball would come down, meet me, we'd have lunch after my show and go back and rehearse for hours. Mm-hmm. And, and that would be it for a year. But we started getting not just weddings, but gigs. 
So mm-hmm. even better. Yeah, exactly. They're both good. Do you They're both good. good. Yeah. Yeah. Weddings are great. I love playing weddings. Yeah, love it. We both love it. And then eventually, you know, we were music partners and friends and eventually one thing led to another. We weren't in relationship. Mm-hmm. And just right. we loved each other, so it made sense to fall in love. So mm-hmm. and, and here we are. How many years later? Since so about 1992, we started. A, 1992. I think. <laughs> a lot of years later. Yeah. Well, I was I was looking at I was pulling things off the website, and I saw the the, the Kate Wolf photo from I think 2001. Oh yeah. So yeah. Yeah, you've been playing together for a long time. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I had a friend over on Friday. She was down from from Palo Alto, and I mentioned um, this interview. She went, "You're going to have at least a five in your house." I've seen her at Kate Woods, and she was all, you know, starry eyed. Yeah, Yeah. it's very people love what you do. Yeah, thank you. It's very special festival for us, Kate Wolf Festival. And when it started in Sebastopol, especially just outside of Sebastopol, um, it's a wonderful festival now. But it was really small, but 1,200 max. Did you play when it was in... So we saw it in Sebastopol. I'm not mm-hmm. sure what year we went. We went the year Nancy Griffith played. I was there the first three years, okay. and I don't think I was there the year Nancy okay. played. The Hillside Vineyard there? Yeah. 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 It was a wonderful spot. Yeah. A little warm. Yeah, as well. <laughs> oh, I think I don't... Yeah, it's pretty darn warm up in Leightonville. Yeah, Leightonville. We just came back. We, we actually, I played up in Reading last week, and then went to Oregon and came back, and we stopped with friends at Humboldt, so we came back 101. Mm-hmm. And it was it was really smoky in, in Leightonville. Mm. Uh, so my friend, another excellent musician, songwriter, John Bartolero, mm-hmm. said he just came back from Oregon and he said he drove right by the Kate Wolf Festival like two or three days before it was supposed to open, and he said it was like so blackout. Yeah. Oh wow. Really bad. Yeah. Really oh bad. man. Wow. We were actually we, we went to um, Coos Bay on Saturday. The fuel prices were really interesting. <laughs> But, but just we ended up in, in Roseburg, went to a zoo on Sunday. We were coming, we were going to camp somewhere along the way. I got the squeaky chair, which is great for the interview. Yeah. We were going to camp somewhere along 101 in, in Oregon, but Cindy kept saying, my wife kept, Cindy kept saying, it's too smoky. It was We can deal with hot, but it was smoky. I didn't yeah. want to camp in that smoke. And I agree right. that Kate Wolf was, I guess, too. Right. Yeah. I haven't heard reports of how mm-hmm. it was. John I saw was saying it. Dr. Austin said they say hi. I went by Kate Pig earlier and dropped some stuff off oh, her. Fun. And she said, it was um, it was smoky. Yeah. Just mm. smoky. Oh man. So, so anyway, I went off on a tangent. So you did. Yeah. When did you, when did you play the Strawberry Music Festival? 1995, I four. Was four, it 94? Okay. That was just so incredible. Yeah, it was uh, just before my time. We've been going about thirteen years. Yeah, like I think that was 1994, 95. I think it was okay. 94. And we had also been playing with Martin Simpson mm-hmm. and Jessica. I read that, yeah. So we were, so it was kind of a, a double, double jackpot. We got to play with them, and then we also had uh, our own set, and uh, nice. we played with Barry Phillips and Lisa Ekstrom. They joined mm-hmm. us, and um, that was pretty marvelous. And you know, those things when you, of course, get main stage performances. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just a tween or something, we had we had a set there, but uh, you know, it exposes you to so many people. Three thousand people, right? And yeah. selling lots of CDs and then getting to share your mm-hmm. work. It's a great place. Yeah, it's a great place, and the quality of it was so enjoyable for yeah. many reasons. But the quality of the sound on stage. Oh, I'll bet. It's so great out in the meadow. And mm. this is my wife Cindy. This Hi, is Cindy. Lisa and Kimball. Hi, Cindy. <laughs> you look familiar. I do. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. 
Nice to see you. So you, you live right here, huh? Aromas. That's right. Yeah, so a little bit further that way. I'm glad the fire didn't come any closer. You have a lovely neighborhood and lovely mm-hmm. home. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all over. The, the fires are all over the place right yeah. now. I know. Yeah. It's nice because there's a lot of fog on Highway 1 right now. Oh, good. Pebble Beach, I just came from there. Oh, Pebble Beach? Oh, good. Okay. I yeah, hope they it's say going that's been helping a little bit. Yeah. Keep yeah. the ground cool. Yeah. yeah. Are you guys still interviewing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're on the interview. Sorry. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Remember, I said informal. Yeah. yeah. So, um, why don't we talk about your your new CD? Then we'll talk about what you guys are planning to work on. Actually, I want to talk. What's your connection to AFRP? Because we're gonna we're gonna play on the same bill in a couple of weeks. Well, Steve Vagnini called us. Okay. And um, you know, of course, I shop at actually their little their little stores, and I but I didn't know. Um, you know, it's Animal Friends Rescue, Rescue Project. Project. Yeah. You say it like it rolls off your tongue, but I'm still getting this. I know. I kept calling it ARF for a while, then I realized ARF was a different organization. Because people kept asking me, why do you just call it ARF? I said, probably, I'm sure that was taken for an animal organization. You know? Right. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, you know, we just love to help our community and, yeah. and all its benefits sub-communities right. and benefits. And we happen to have, that's that Saturday night, we're going to be in Carmel for a gig. So we would oh, come out earlier and help. And so, and we love, we love animals. Mm. Hey, my dad's a veterinarian. So we, oh, <laughs> we grew up with anything <laughs> we could do to help the little critters yeah. and all the people who are helping them. So yeah. it's just awesome. So. And they were a great organization because with the dogs, we actually, um, it was more work than we thought, but it was worth it. For the dogs, they actually go to the houses and do yard checks. For the dogs they adopt out, oh. where they're really thorough, oh. and the dogs get really good homes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Does Doris Day have anything to do with this one? I don't think one? so. No, okay. no, no. And then for the for the cats, we've done. It started with uh, one litter of cats. It was a mom and three kittens, and then it was a mom and four kittens. And the last one, we had five cat, five kittens in the back room, and. And then the mom from the previous litter we had to keep, and then she ended up nursing the, the second litter, mm-hmm. you know. But mm-hmm. and we figure so far we've kept like 16 cats to get fixed and not get leukemia and not breed, wow. you know, yeah. not become feral. So. Right. God. Um, that, yeah. That's, anyway, it's a good event. Yeah. It's a. I'm so glad because I know you're much more involved than we are. So we're more gonna, than I ever thought we'd be. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking forward. We're both looking forward to finding out more about the organization and great lineup of. Musicians that day, yeah, and it's kind of all over the map, which is fun. There's some like high energy dance bands, yeah. And you guys, and then you know whatever it is I do, you know. Yeah. So it'll be and fun. And your video, yeah. we heard about the video you made. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah I wrote the song. Oh, you wrote the song for yeah. the video. And that was that was one of those examples of writing by a deadline. Because uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, I, I got asked to um, well, when the, the new director took over beginning of the year, I, I wrote her and I said, well, "We fostered. If you ever have a benefit." And then she went to the website, I guess saw the animal thing, and she goes, would you be interested in writing a song? Because we always do a, a video every year, but we use some copyrighted song, and we can't send it out. And I thought, mm-hmm. that'd be a good challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I worked with a woman who was doing the video, Monica Rua. And finally, we, we were kind of like tossing ideas back and forth, and I said, look, give me a deadline. If we keep talking about this, six months is going to go by, and I'm not going to have, I'm going to just gonna keep floundering. No, give me a deadline. She said, end of March. And I said, Okay, I'll give you a draft beginning of March, and I did. So I haven't even seen the video yet. She's working on it. Neat. So I might see it at the party for the first time, yeah. too. Yeah, that'll so, be cool. Yeah. Dead, yeah. Deadlines are good. They are. Well, that in regards to the project that we're it's in planning stages right mm-hmm. now, it's a long time coming. Kimball and I want to do a duo album. Kimball and Roger at... Uh, 
Perform With Me on Better With Time. They've mm-hmm. accompanied me on this CD from 1995. And Roger actually produced it. He said, mm-hmm. Lisa, it's time. Let's go in and do this thing. Yeah. And I tend to drag. And mm-hmm. I, I have this perfectionist thing, and Kimball does too, about his music. So between the both of us, our duo project is, um, it's... It's time to do it. Fifteen years overdue. No, I know you say, but it's time to do it. So we have a set. We have our songs. This morning, even mm-hmm. we looked at it and said, "Okay." But what's so interesting? Kimball came from a trio. He came from a mm-hmm. band. I was a singer-songwriter, and you know right. how that goes. I'm doing my thing and being brave and going out in the world, and and you know. So Kimball's always been, accompanied me, yeah. and I'm not as musical in terms of all the lead work that. Sure. Roger can do, um, and and so it's really our duo uh, energy. We're just really trying to distill what that is. Mm-hmm. There are some songs that Kimball will do on a on a different album, mm-hmm. and I'll have another album that are not exactly duo songs. But Kimball, of course, will accompany me. Mm-hmm. But sure. then we have songs that are much more duo energy, musical mixes that both of us are really creating, um, and that I I guess that really make a duo album a duo album. What would you say about that, babe? Because I'm trying so to it's, a, it's complex. I mean, the thing about the me coming from a trio. I mean, there's many reasons that. I guess first of all, my great passion in music is collaborative participation, mm-hmm. okay. working on arrangements and harmonies. I just Which is why the trio works so well. Which is probably. why the trio works so well. And yeah. I really sincerely love that. And also hidden below the surface in there is a little self doubt, insecurity, you know, and I feel better when you're an artist. When I'm <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly. Probably. So I feel better when I'm surrounded by, you okay. know, nice arrangements and other things yeah. going on. And part of the journey for me with Elisa was really learning to believe in myself and my own songs and just really pare down versions of them and really just letting the lyrics and the um, melodies the and chord structures speak for themselves and stand on their own. And I, for me, that was kind of a terrifying, you know, mm-hmm. process and, and took years to really get comfortable. So it sounds with. like you're, you're both bringing what you know and what you're kind of like unsure about to the same thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, since, very cool. and since my solo journeys, I've joined different bands and mm-hmm. vocal ensembles and then the Cabrillo Chorus, and singing in vocal community is so such a high experience. It's mm, so inspiring. And so it, I'm very grateful for this experience too because making harmony for me is just like you know there's power in numbers mm-hmm. yeah. and then we bring it's our it's like home. having a band when you're all kind of like together mm-hmm. so then the next step was well we started collaborating um, in our writing mm-hmm. too and that was a process that we started some years ago and usually writing with a third person mm-hmm. that was new and different for both of us and we really enjoy that especially you know uh, it brings challenges mm-hmm. that we um, that are opportunities, sure. you know, about for ourselves to learn and grow and get clear and and uh, so we'll be performing some of those songs at the benefit oh, too. Oh, good! So, yeah. Some new stuff. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the new oh. project is coming, and then we've got uh, I've got Cup of Kindness, of course, which mm-hmm. grew out of Big Sur and the Salmon River area of Wilderness of Idaho and. And then better with time. I can't wait to hear this new one too. Oh, I this have not heard that one. No, I have. I just read about it today. I went, oh wow, yeah, yeah. yeah. It had to be a pretty, pretty special record to put together. I love that recording. It's really, 
Alex Degrassi helped produce and put it together, and he I just saw did that. a fabulous job. It's pretty impressive names on your website. I yeah, went, wow, yeah. she's going to be at our kitchen table. <laughs> <laughs> That's so neat. Well, that that happens. You know, you keep making music, and you just it, the music will take you. You yeah. know, you follow the music and. And uh, I've these yeah we've been able to play with Martin Simpson and Alex DeGrassi and Paul Reisler of uh, Trapezoid and John Gorka and Tom Paxton called Kimball and uh, and I came to the gig and he said am I to understand that you have the whole weekend free on this tour and and you're just coming along yes I'm yeah, putting you to work, work. Yeah. <laughs> And thank goodness, you wow. know, I had listened to all the songs and got the harmonies, and so we had a ball. But a musical life is a grand, it's a great way to be alive, as you mm-hmm. know. You mm-hmm. know, a great way to be alive. This was a huge, you know, um, shift in, a, in this new CD. It was a uh, new musical direction. Mm-hmm. And taking all the love and soul that I have and just opening it up at when Alex found out that I knew so much about Jewish music mm-hmm. or I knew lots of songs from the Jewish tradition he went crazy because he's a, and, and also the record company we were with with Martin and Jessica got very excited because I sang mm-hmm. a, a Hebrew song um, a, did a lead vocal on our album with the Band of Angels called Erev Shel Shoshanim Evening of the Roses mm-hmm. which Martin and everyone plays so beautifully on so people wanted more of it, sure. and who knew? I just wanted to be this little American folk singer, mm-hmm. and uh, but as soon as people knew I could sing this music as well, yeah. it made me even more unique mm-hmm. and um, gave me a, a shape, uh, a new shape, and started to develop what that was. And Alex heard this these songs with really different ears mm-hmm. and fresh ears. So we collaborated on arrangements. I'd go up to his house in Redwood Valley, and then he knew wonderful players and had a great mm. sense. And it took a long time because he was on tour, and yeah. we would change our direction sometimes, but it came together. And it's a big production. It, you know, the it, it's not something I can tour with, so it's very interesting to have okay. an album like this, but to tour with a band uh, is... You Speaking know, of fuel prices, huge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really huge, yeah. and you need—I I would need a tremendous amount of help and assistance with yeah. securing income to try to get yeah. all that. So, Kimball and I have been learning, uh, working on these songs in a distilled kind of pairing them down so you yes, can play them live. Yes, mm-hmm. even the high energy, you know, the drumming songs mm-hmm. and all that. I play hand drum. I studied. Um, so I, I do the best I can. Dror Sinai from Rhythm Fusion has joined us oh, yeah. once or twice. Uh, different musicians uh, from the Bay Area yeah. as well. But think, we incorporate yeah. these songs in our but I think what's fun, concerts. too, is when you see, see an artist do, when they have the big CD, and you know they can't, they can't travel with ten people. Mm-hmm. So I think it's fun seeing them do these more intimate versions, you know, and then comparing it with the CD version because you know it's big. and. You know, maybe at some point you'll put out a live CD with like, with a, a small sound. You know, you know, redo these songs like in a smaller, live, more intimate kind of setting, yeah. and you'll and people can take those home as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll see yeah. because in our ne- oh on our next album too, we do have a couple of other Jewish songs that we're going to. Oh, do. They're just they contain. They're so beautiful mel- melodically. Kimball plays them so beautifully. He's singing harmony in Hebrew mm-hmm. with me now, mm-hmm. and the messages. Surprise are- yourself. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. And the message is so universal, and yeah. dis- and to me, opening the doors 
first of all, bringing who we are, not being afraid of hiding, bring ourselves forward helps enrich all of us. Mm -hmm. As other people, other musicians from different traditions have enriched me and Mm -hmm. enriched all of us. And then the message is so beautiful, and I think we need to continue to bring that positive, universal message of all our religious traditions forward and help us remember what religion is all about, to elevate the soul Mm -hmm. and our consciousness and remember where we all came from. And um, that, that whole idea that we really are one. And it's, you know, we're making harmony when we're singing. It's yeah. a great metaphor, but it becomes real when we actually... It's literal. Yes. Yeah. I think what's fun about this this CD in particular is I, I've been doing this these, these interviews for, I don't know, about a year and a half now. And, and I stand with the, the music that I'm doing, but I think the thing I like about this music thing is when you meet people, everybody's carving their own path and finding things that, that are unique to them. So you, you sing a couple of traditional songs and didn't really realize you were going to like go down that way for mm-hmm. a while and end up doing a whole CD of it. You know, like you say, it's one more thing that makes you unique. Yes. Yeah. And it really enriches the whole uh, pond, the whole ocean of what, you know, we do. Somehow the ripples come out to sure. affect us and it's fabulous music, you know, the, the harmonies are different, the scales are different, yeah. there's little different things about it that I You're I playing love. songs you probably wouldn't have played and you're yeah. learning things. Like, oh, that's different, you know. Yeah. Going there instead of the traditional, you know, where you would be inclined to go, you, they go somewhere else, and it's yeah. really beautiful, and it's got a lot of lot of energy, and it's, yeah. it's really fun. I'm really yeah. enjoying. It. That's our fridge in the background making ice, by the way. Uh, this is normally a great spot to have interviews. Uh, <laughs> At least there's no cappuccino yeah. machine. <laughs> other people have have reflected too that when I sing in Hebrew, these ancient prayers and mm-hmm. poetry. Um, that I sing from another place, and that mm. it's. Um, you don't speak Hebrew then. I speak Hebrew okay. too. I don't speak fluently, but I okay. studied. I went to progressive Jewish camps growing up, and I was worked on a kibbutz when I was fourteen, okay. and supposedly learned Hebrew. But I would have to really, you know, I'm, I'm not fluent, but mm. I understand a lot. And what happens too is your audiences hear songs they probably wouldn't hear, mm-hmm. and, and also too. Think how old these songs are in that language, and how far that history goes back when you're when you're singing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. it's it's wonderful. And I realize, you know, it informs who we are as songwriters. Um, all our songs are blessings. We're blessings, you know. And so when I sing these songs, I feel the blessing, and I feel that this is this this song I'm singing is so much bigger than me, and so much bigger than us, and. And I feel, you know, how the music goes out, you know, what it can do, just changing molecules in the air, at least for that moment. And maybe peace is possible. Maybe coexistence is possible. Maybe love and harmony and wellness and wholeness is possible. And you know it is in that moment. You can't give up on it. <laughs> you know, so. And in the music. And so then I realize when we're singing all our songs, all our songs, depending on what they're about, you have that ability to... Mm-hmm go out as prayers and blessings and good energy. Let's hear a couple of things. Okay. Alisa Feynman and Kimball Heard around my kitchen table. But we're not done yet. Now's the point in the show where we're going to move from my kitchen table to my living room and we're going to hear them play a couple of things from us. They're going to play... Well, I'll let you just check out the next podcast and find out for yourself. Uh, once again, this is Michael Gaither with michaelgaither.com and Songs and Stories. And if you want to check out some links to go with this show, go to the website, 
If you want to sign up on my mailing list, it's michael at michaelgaither.com or just go to my contact page on the website. And if you sign up this month and you send me an email with the word Elisa in the subject line, I'll enter you in a drawing for a free Grateful Dread Radio t-shirt. So check out Songs of Stories 36. It's the one right after this one. Thanks for listening.